Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Now, look, I know it's hot out. But we, you know, here in, in, in Indianapolis, we, uh, we've been talking about the heat that's coming and big heat. And yesterday was supposed to be big heat. I got done with the show, cigar in hand, sat outside. I was like, it's pretty good. There was a little breeze. It wasn't awful. Now, I'm inside. I'm doing the show, but it didn't seem awful. I mean, still be safe. You know, you've got temperatures that are are, are climbing, and you, you got that real feel, the humidity, everything else. It, it can have an effect, but am I off base? Like, is there something going on right now? Did the temperature jump? Because like, I think it's like Thursday is supposed to be the, the, the big one. Thursday is supposed to be the... Dang! That is hot. Right? Thursday is the day that's supposed to be uh, like, uh, like, you know, the end of day is hot. Never got this hot in Brooklyn. It's like Africa hot. Tarzan couldn't take this kind of hot. I mean, that's, that's, that's hot right there. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. Would love to hear from you. Want your thoughts on the debate. Uh, You can agree or disagree with me. Have your own. Uh, That is fine. 833-GOT-TONY is the number. The economic situation has got to be the front and center conversation for these candidates. How are you going to help people survive? That's the question. And that's the commentary. When you listen to Jamie Harrison, who chairs the DNC, and he's asked, he's asked by a CNN uh, anchor about the economic situation, and Jamie Harrison is like, uh, I don't see the problem here. You talk about the things that are going up. Gas prices are going up 25 cents over the last month, a nickel off uh, the price about a year ago. Uh, The mortgage rates are going up 20 year high, more than a 20 year high. And the administration and the party did such a good job of explaining uh, several years ago about how that's outside of the president's control. Right. We get that. But this is what people feel. Is there a vulnerability in tying the president's reelection campaign, fusing his name with uh, economics when so many people feel so sourly about the the economy? Is that a vulnerability for the president? Well, it's not a vulnerability, uh, Victor, in that uh, uh, because what we have seen over time is, and we see this in contrast to every other major uh, global country in the world, that America is again at the head of the line. People are paying more for gas. People are paying more for food. And Jamie Harrison wants you to know that you should shut your mouth because it's worse in Germany. That is an absolutely terrible way to think about going about an election. I mean, terrible. Awful. But I I appreciate the conversation from uh, CNN there. Everything is up. 
This is what is this part of the NBC News team? More Americans are turning to loans to help pay for everyday expenses. But a new survey from the Federal Reserve shows more loan applications are being rejected by major financial institutions. Auto loan requests and credit card limit increase requests are also at record highs, hmm. highlighting some of the financial pressure that Americans are facing right now. That is correct. Credit card debt has topped a trillion. The banks were already told by Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, uh, you should lend less. So now the restrictions are on. And people trying to buy a car, well, they can't get the loan from the bank. And people who will buy used cars to then sell, they can't get the loan from the bank. And uh, you've got mortgage rates that are near 7.5%. This is the subject. This is the only subject. People in this debate making it about Trump and not about the American people lose. They lose. Don't don't listen to Twitter. Don't listen to somebody who's got skin in the game. Your skin is the only game that matters. That's it. Now this ties into a story that was over at uh, the Wall Street Journal that you should read. It's excellently done. China's 40-year boom is over. What comes next? It's not a story of, oh, look what's happening with China. It's a story of look at how China acted and what is it that we can learn from it? Because historically, they could have avoided certain things and chosen not to. When you take a look at Japan and Japan's economy in the 1980s, Japan was everything. Everything was Japanese. They were making everything. They were eating our lunch. They were destroying us. Uh, Sony. I, 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 I don't know how to tell somebody of Gen Z I don't know how I would explain to them even what a Sony Walkman was and how much we'd be laughed at. You mean you couldn't put 5,000 songs on it? You mean you had to have something different from your phone? What do you mean you didn't have a phone? Like, it would just be this ongoing, you know, domino effect conversation. I don't understand. The idea of the Walkman, the Discman, you, you took a CD and you put it on your side and you went running and you were amazed that it would skip as you ran or walked? Yes, yes, we were annoyed by this tremendously. You mean you took this Walkman that was that was bright yellow and you listened to cassette tapes? What is a cassette tape? What do you mean you used to rewind it with a pencil? I don't get it. They would be they would just be lost. They wouldn't understand. Do you think they ever have understood having to get up and change the channel because your father wanted to watch something else? They don't know what pain is. They never once had to reach to the junk drawer to get the pair of pliers because the knob on the TV in the kitchen broke so they could change the channel. They don't know the struggle. <laughs> um, Japan was everything. Japan was everything. And then a funny thing happened in the mid-90s. Um, the whole economy just stopped. It stopped. And it kind of stagnated. And there it stayed for 30 years. 
We paid no attention to that in the United States, that, that the Japanese economy just stopped. And you ask yourself, why? What happened? What did they do? And why is it only now that the Japanese economy is starting to kick into gear again? Well, it is not. Uh, it, it does not take much in the rocket surgery category. That's either brain surgery or rocket science put together. Your choice. Um, to note that the economy started moving in a, in a good direction again. I, I'm not saying it's ex- extremely good, just a, p- a positive direction. When they started bringing manufacturing out of China and returning it to Japan, as a matter of fact, they started putting bounties on. Here is a multi-billion dollar program that we'll put together. You bring manufacturing back, we'll give you X. We'll pay you. And it's working. Part of what Japan did when uh, they started really, really becoming a powerhouse is they started investing in infrastructure. Hold that thought. Yes, it has a tie-in to where the United States is right now, specifically ideologically. I'll get to it. And there comes a moment where you've built everything you're going to build. And there's nothing else to build because there is no need for the things. But if you believe that the investment into infrastructure can power an economy, you might keep building. This is the story of China. That when it started to invest in its infrastructure... Well, that's when you saw, you'll often hear people say, look at what China did, bringing people out of poverty. This much is absolutely true. You can look at the numbers that China's position in in investing in infrastructure literally drove millions out of poverty. As the Wall Street Journal describes it, 800 million Chinese people, which would account for more than 70% of the poverty reduction worldwide, according to the World Bank. Sorry, those are huge numbers. Oh, look at what China's doing. Oh, look at how great the fact that they were, you know, curtailing speech, the fact that they were imprisoning people, the fact that they're a threat to Taiwan. Didn't matter. They brought people out of poverty. How did they do that? They did it through a lie and a lesson not learned about Japan. They started building infrastructure. Well, okay, sometimes you need a new bridge. Sometimes you need a new road. Sometimes you need a new airport. That's absolutely true. But there is an area called Guizhou, G-U-I-Z-H-O-U. I believe it's pronounced Guizhou. Guizhou is a province in China where the average GDP per capita, I shouldn't say average GDP, but the GDP per capita is less than $7,200 a year. Let's call it $7,000 a year. The average person is making $7,000 US a year. Guizhou has 11 airports. Now, I ask you, what? Chicago has O'Hare and Midway. New York has JFK, LaGuardia, and Newark. 
Don't tell me about Teterboro. They got three. D.C. has Reagan National. Then you have Dulles. And then Baltimore has Baltimore. Los Angeles has LAX, Burbank, John Wayne. If you want to consider the Ontario airport there in Southern California as part of that, you're more than welcome to. I have flown into that airport. It's way too much of a drive to L.A. I'll suffer with what happens at LAX. Thank you very much. How the hell do you get 11 airports? The answer is, well, that was the jobs program. That's how we pulled all these people out of poverty. We just put them to work building things there are right now i believe the number is 1.3 million that is the number of 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 open apartments in china right now 1.3 million they have nobody to move into these things they built them We call them ghost cities because that was their plan to growth. Just keep building. They build bridges. Let's go back to this area where they've got the the ridiculous amount of airports. You take a look. They have 1,700 bridges. 1,700 bridges. Uh, um, there aren't many that many bridges. I think connecting the Keys at Key West in the southern part of Florida. And what you learn is that they've invested and invested and invested, and there's nothing left to invest in. You can build all the apartments, but there's no one to live there. You can build all the bridges. You don't have that many cars. You can build all the airports. Nobody's doing that much flying. No one anywhere. And eventually, the projects have to stop. Eventually, the projects don't make money. And eventually, your economy slows down because you never focused on anything other than this, well, it's working, keep at it. You never once looked to the future. And now you have Americans, progressives, who are saying, well, we need to do more with infrastructure. We need to create good-paying union jobs with this infrastructure. We need to build this. Japan did this and had 30 years of stagnation. And China has done this, and they are realizing they cannot move forward. The losses are starting to become extreme. Their amount of debt is massive, and they are falling into this Japan trap. And you better believe that everything that's happening in China is going to have a cost to you and me in the United States and to everybody watching that debate tonight while we're told by the Biden administration that Bidenomics is working. I don't enjoy the idea of a global economy, but I recognize that, yes, indeed, we are in many ways globally connected. The only way you win the debate tonight to the extent that there's a winner when you've got Trump still out there is to make sure that Americans know you know what's on their mind. And it isn't Trump and his indictments. It's not vendettas. 
It's how I feed my kids. Oh, by the way, where the hell's the baby formula? And it's about making sure we don't go the way of China. Because that, as Japan shows us, is a dead end and a real danger. I'm Tony Katz. Am I coming out of left Plot twist. Yevgeny Prigozhin is dead. Okay. Maybe not so much a plot twist. Uh, When you were a guy who was leading a revolt uh, against uh, Putin, uh, possibly threatening Putin, possibly embarrassing Putin, when you're allowed to live in in Belarus after... um, taking your private military company, your private army, and marching your way towards Moscow. And then your plane crashes on a flight from Moscow to St. Petersburg, and all 10 people on the plane, including three crew members, die. Coincidence. I'm sure, I am sure... It's nothing more than a coincidence. I don't know what you guys are are, are saying uh, at, at, at all. Uh, I just think that these things, you know, they just happen. Could be, who knows? You know? Holy crap. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Uh, that is all breaking right now. Now, I, I will... Uh, um, content, or, or not content. I, I will at least leave the the caveat, the possibility that the reporting is wrong. Uh, I've seen this now in a couple of places. That Prigozhin is feared dead in this crash, or is dead in this crash. You take his group Wagner. Some people tried to call it a coup attempt. That That's not it. We spoke to some people who explained that that's not really what it was. But it certainly was embarrassing to Putin. It certainly could have been seen as a threat to Putin by Putin and others. And now he's dead? You know, sometimes there's a coincidence. And sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. And then... There's the times where you know somebody's been murdered. It's like when when somebody has double-crossed Putin, and the next thing you know, they've got like some kind of plutonium poisoning. And you're like, huh, that happens all the time. It does. Oh, my gosh. Who doesn't know somebody who's been poisoned with plutonium? Could be. Who knew West Side Story would come in such handy? Such a, such a, coming to such import. Ah, this is. I'm with, I'm with you. Gobsmacked. Gobsmacked by this one right here. Is that right? Is it two months to the day? It's two months to the day. Of him pushing towards Moscow. Well, you're right. It's just all coincidence. That's all. Not a lesson to anybody else. No, no, no. Just, just a coincidence. Nothing more, nothing less. Son of a gun. I'm Tony Katz.
I do not know if Doug Burgum will be at the debate or not. The governor of North Dakota making the debate stage for tonight's Republican primary debate. Playing basketball. Injures his leg enough that he has to be taken to the hospital. They don't know if he's going to be able to stand up. It's pretty crazy. It's a crazy story. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, 833-468-8669-833. Got Tony. Call in. Feel free. Happy to talk. And, of course, we have learned that not only is there a college going back to mass mandates, you've got Hollywood Studios going back to mask mandates. Why? Because they're crazed. It's ridiculous. It's embarrassing. These people don't know anything about science. What are they calling this variant? The Eris variant of COVID? So there's a rise in COVID cases. So what? Masks don't stop anything. Vaccines don't stop anything. You can argue a vaccine lessens symptoms. Some people say I didn't get vaccinated and I never had COVID. So, you know, I guess things work differently for different people. You want to get vaccinated, feel free. You want to wear a mask, feel free. You want to force masks on people, you're, you're just pathetic. You're ridiculous. As people have referred to it, it's not the Eris variant. It's the election variant. You're doing this because we have an election coming up and you want to keep mail-in voting happening. And we, we, we see you. We know that you're lying. We know that you're a bunch of frauds. And it's becoming a political thing. You have got Curtis Hill. He's the former attorney general in Indiana. He really didn't get reappointed to the position, elected to the position, because of allegations of impropriety, of a sexual kind. Back rubs and I think a grope. Uh, forgive me, I never, I, I, I don't remember every part of the story. What I remember is that he actually lost his law license or the use of it for like a week while he was AG. And then, uh, you know, in Indiana, you would actually have the uh, party nominate and then uh, the election would happen. And, uh, well, that was the, the end of that. He did not get nominated. He immediately went to town putting out a, a, a statement The problem that we have is that we are witnessing a federal government that lied to us about masks along with their use and effectiveness, so we have lost the trust of our institutions. I mean, that, that, was, that was a comment he made, and, and he put out the statement. He's like, yeah, yeah, I am, never, I am never, ever, ever, ever going to call for mask mandates if I'm the governor of Indiana, and he's running for governor of Indiana. I mean, he jumped on that quick, super quick. I'm like, the guy is jumping right into the culture war. And some people are like, well, the last thing we need is a culture war. Uh, He didn't start it. The mask insanity, he didn't start that. There's no science in a mask for COVID. There's science in masks in general. But not regarding COVID. Masks don't stop COVID. A three millimeter gap in a mask will reduce a mask's efficacy down to 3%. No one wears a mask properly. 
You'd have to be wearing masks in strict medical settings to have any level of efficacy. And even then, you're nowhere near 100%. Was that the University of Waterloo study, I believe? Masks don't work. The people who say so lie. It's done for other reasons. And of course, you are correct when you are concerned that the reason, that the reason is to be able to continue mail-in voting. You are correct to be concerned by this. Now, I don't know if COVID is going to be part of the debate structure conversation tonight. But I swear to you, anybody who says follow the science, that is a very negative term. Don't use it. Nobody wants a president who defers to an unelected doctor. Nobody wants a governor who defers to an unelected doctor. I hear what you have to say. I understand what you're saying. We have an open society because we have a constitution, whether you like it or not. That's all. That's it. It is one thing to listen to an expertise, but nobody voted for the doctors. In, in, in my beloved Indiana, uh, you can tell me all the good things about Dr. Christina Box, who headed up the uh, Indiana um, uh, health uh, world there. Uh, she might be a lovely person, but I didn't vote for her. I don't give a damn what she thinks about lockdowns. I don't care. And we never should have cared in the state of Indiana, nor anywhere else that had lockdowns. And of course, the governor, in, in the case of Indiana, Eric Holcomb, wrong for saying, well, the doctor says, I don't care what she says. I care that businesses are allowed to stay in business. But what can I say? I think the Constitution matters. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty simple like that. I'm pretty simple when I note that Politico notes in something that isn't even being questioned that Trump and members of the Trump team, people like Jason Miller, that um, he was in, uh, in Milwaukee. And with a, a group of reporters, this is at a steakhouse. The name of the steakhouse is Rare, R-A-R-E. And uh, while the Trump guys were there, with these reporters, they're handing out pudding snack packs. Remember Ron DeSantis ate pudding with his fingers or something like that? Whatever, I don't care. I don't care if he eats pudding with his toes. As long as he lowers my taxes and the cost of a gallon of gas, I'm good with it. I'll let that toe pudding eating freak do whatever he wants as long as I pay less in taxes and less for gas. And they were passing out bingo cards all about trolling Governor DeSantis. And they had different squares. Dismisses polls, wipes snot, Red ears, I don't even know what that one is. DeSantis, DeSantis, flip-flops on Social Security again. The reporters who were there were Dana Bash of CNN, Kristen Welker of NBC, Bob Costo, I believe is of CBS, but he might be CNN. Um, David Chilean, CNN. 
the Trump team was hanging out with the same reporters who are desperate to see Trump go to jail? That, uh... That's something. That's, um... That's a bunch of nonsense. And I immediately knew that there would be people out there who'd be like, oh, this, see, this is 4D chess, Tony. You see, what, what Trump's doing is he's playing him. He's playing, oh, it's just a genius play. Sometimes you're overthinking it. Sure enough, I had somebody tweet me, dining with the media may be part of the art of war. Keep your enemies close. Or uh, they all know that Trump makes for great ratings, so you might as well denigrate all the other candidates, hope Trump gets the nomination, and then move forward because it's good for everybody. Not everything is 4D chess. Sometimes you're just getting played. That's a story. That is suspicious stuff. Very, very suspicious stuff. Now, the guy who's got the most explaining to do on the debate stage is Vivek Ramaswamy. Because Ramaswamy stepped in it. He stepped in it, and it starts with this response to Caitlin Collins over uh, comments about January 6th and September 11th. This is really, it's funny. I mean, the Atlantic is playing the same game as CNN. It's funny. What I said is on January 6th, I do believe that there were many federal agents in the field and we deserve to know who they are. On 9-11, what I've said is that the government lied. And this is incontrovertible evidence, Caitlin. The government lied about Saudi Arabia's involvement. There was a Saudi spy named Al-Bayoumi who they lied and the government lied and the 9-11 commission lied. We know that because declassified reports in 2021 Which revealed that Al-Bayoumi was indeed. Now, Trump, I mean, Biden declassifying it is not the story here, Caitlin Collins, but nice to try and give Biden the credit. You're really bad at your job. But maybe you are right about the quote. Because as Ramaswamy is saying there, lied about 9-11 and involvement regarding the Saudis. That's what he was referring to. No doubt that the Saudis were involved. No doubt that the Saudis should have been punished. I blame George Bush for not punishing the Saudis, and I don't forgive it. The quote, though, that was told to the news outlet Semaphore, and it was mentioned in The Atlantic, goes like this. This is the quote that they attribute to Vivek Ramaswamy. I think it is legitimate to say how many police, how many federal agents were on the planes that hit the Twin Towers? He continues, like, I, I think we want, maybe the answer is zero, probably a zero for all I know, right? I have no reason to think it was anything other than zero. But if we're doing a comprehensive assessment of what happened on 9-11, we have a 9-11 commission, absolutely that should be an answer the public knows the answer to. In that quote, it is very obvious to anybody who is honest that Vivek Ramaswamy 
is making the claim that 9-11 was an inside job. I don't talk to people who actively say 9-11 was an inside job. You have brought me nothing on the subject. And to say, well, I'm just asking a question is ridiculous. He's saying something different. He is saying that a comprehensive assessment should tell us whether there was anybody on the plane. That it's something different doesn't take away from the fact that it's completely ridiculous. You're saying that it's possible that there were Americans on the plane taking down the plane because we didn't say in in clarity there were no U.S. agents on those planes being flown into the World Trade Center, into the Pentagon, and murdering 3,000 people, never mind the people who died in Shanksville. That's a weird thing to say, guys. And he's kept telling Caitlin Collins on CNN, who again is really bad at her job. He kept saying that that wasn't the quote, but turns out that was the quote, at least as quoted by Semaphore via the Atlantic. Now, is the quote made up? Is it is it manufactured? Was it manipulated? I'm I'm going to have a hard time with that one. Although I guess everything is possible, isn't it? No, I think the quote is the quote, and I think Vivek stepped in it. Bad time to step in it. Bad bad stuff, because the knock on Ramaswamy is that he's a fraud. That he has made his money. And he's a smart dude. And there are things that he has gotten into that you appreciate. But taking money from Soros, where he really is politically, that he's a fraud. This is the constant refrain. That while he can talk and he has given some great answers to some serious questions, there is now going to be a conversation about his trustworthiness. And of course, this is going to be absolutely used against him. If you're saying that 9-11 was an inside job, of course it's going to get used against you. Because saying that's an inside job is the kind of thing that gets used against you. (laughs) It would be stunning that anybody thought it wouldn't be. Vivek's got a lot of answering to do. He's going to have to deal with that tonight. Of course he's going to get punched on that. And people like Christie are going to eviscerate him for it. I I was in New Jersey. I don't know. Was he governor at the, at the, at the time? And I'll let me tell you, and you don't know, and how dare you say that about law enforcement. You should be it. You should get off this podium. It's going to be all. Oh, it's going to be all of that. And Vivek's going to have to say what? I didn't say what I said? Bad day. Bad day. And on cue, by the way, I was earlier talking about uh, the uh, former attorney general of, of, uh, of Indiana, Curtis Hill, coming out against mask mandates. Like right away, coming out against it, making it a political subject. And sure enough, on cue, on cue... They're bringing out Anthony Fauci. Ah! 
No, no, no. This is real. There is this pandemic. It's the over culture that we all are aware of. There are no masks I see in the community. And when I wear one, you know, when I'm at the airport or in the flight, uh, I see people laughing at me. Uh, what, what, do, what are your thoughts on that? First of all, we are not done with COVID. We know that. I mean, if you look at just the last uh, couple of weeks, that the number of cases last week are 12% greater than they were the week before and 25% greater than they were two weeks ago. That is Anthony Fauci at Wayne State University just a week ago. I didn't need Alex Jones. We were already talking about this stuff. These people are going to try and bring masks back and fear back. And yes, if you're like, this is all to move an election, you better believe it. Yes. And the people saying otherwise, not going to trust them at all. That's not conspiratorial. That's learning your lesson. I'm Tony Katz. We will be watching the debate and live streaming reaction and commentary and bourbon drinking. Over there, TonyCats.com. So join me tonight at 8.45 p.m. Debate starts at 9. Get comfy! And then we're going to watch uh, the, the, the Trump stuff. I'm going I'm to watch that. Maybe not live stream that, but I'm going to watch Trump and Tucker. And then I'll have uh, the breakdown, of course. TonyCats.com tonight, 8.45 p.m. <laughs>